how loud our love is. Tim, no more coffee for you, whatever you had, hot chocolate, every week. No, you're good, you're good, you're good. Just, maybe I just need to separate you and Zach, you guys always holding hands or whatever you're doing over there. 
This is this is streaming to the internet, by the way. I, I, I believe you. I believe you. Well, good evening. Welcome to 724. We are very excited that you are here tonight. Well, at least you are. Hopefully others are too. Um, if you enjoyed hummus and carrots and deliciousness, then uh, you can thank Amber Laotis for that because... <sighs> Because she's Greek and she, you know, she knows how to make that kind of stuff. So, you know, it's, she knows how to make that kind of stuff. So, you know, you can read between the lines. Um, uh, well, it's really exciting to be here. Uh, Ken could not be here tonight. He's at a, hit one of his daughters, or both of his daughters' basketball game, I'm not sure. Um, but tonight we have a treat. We have a guest speaker. His name is Ira Siebel. Does anyone here not know Ira? A couple people probably. Two, three, four. But everyone else here knows Ira. He's awesome. He's an awesome teacher. Um, when I was thinking of introducing Ira, I was thinking of all the things I know about him, and it's limited. But I will, I will, I will go with what I got. Um, you worked on a. Uh, you were in the Navy. You were in a submarine. You're pretty tall to be in a submarine. Oh, I, I just, I guess the only submarine I've been in is the one at the Science Center, and. That one's a little, a little taller. Well, all right. I'm just thinking, like, you know, only hobbits work in, in submarines or something. <laughs> but, um, and uh, Ira just retired from Westinghouse, um, which is pretty. I'm not sure if you're clapping because he retired or because he was at Westinghouse. I'm not sure. Um, the announcements, uh, with there is a fundraiser. It's a uh, spaghetti dinner. Uh, what was the date for that, Julie? <laughs> Today's guest speaker is Ira Siebel. And... Ah, we knew that. Uh, yes, 724 Retreat and Elm Spaghetti Dinner. It's April 6th. That's a Saturday, I believe. Um, so that's here at the church. Um, I don't know the whole situation. I know the son. Um, he has a disease. I, I don't remember what it was. GSD. Um, but basically, they're, what they're raising money for is for a dog. Um, they have these special dogs that are trained, and these dogs are trained to uh, notice uh, increases in blood pressure. And, you know, if he's having symptoms, before he even knows he has symptoms. You know, but these dogs are like $31,000. You know, so we're doing the spaghetti dinner to raise money uh, for this kid because he's going to have this disease for the rest of his life. Uh, as far as I know, I think it's a terminal disease. Um, <coughs> So, um, if you can come for that, um, I believe it's probably just by donation. I'm not 100% on that, but if you just come, eat as much spaghetti as you want. I believe Bill Betts is making it again if you're here for Harry Anton's spaghetti dinner. Um, it is really awesome. So, I mean, really exciting. So, if you can come for that, that'd be good. Uh, we're also still working on the 724 retreat. I um, have not heard back from. We're, we're looking at this place. It's called the Castle, and it's really cool. It's this Castle Mansion uh, place. It's in Franklin, PA. I'm trying to get into there, um, but... Um, part of it's my fault, part of it, I haven't heard back, but part of it is my, my phone had a, um, incident with the concrete, and now it's, now it's in a coma, I don't think it's coming out, um, so, if you could pray about that, um, yeah, maybe, or something, I don't know, um, but if you guys would give a warm welcome to Ira Siebold as he comes.
heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. It is the word of Christ, the power of God for salvation. God breathed, imperishable, everlasting, truth, perfect, pure, righteous, living and active, supernatural, revealing, penetrating, effectual, wonderful, a witness, a sword, a lamp, a light, a fire, a hammer, the good seed, our tutor, the law of liberty, our spiritual food, eternal life at work within us, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, more desirable than gold, sweeter than honey. It's the word of life. It became flesh and dwelt among us. It will never pass away. It will be totally fulfilled. It stands forever. It needs no corrections. It accomplishes God's desires. It convicts us, shuts our mouths, humbles us, and exposes our sinfulness. It illuminates, gives understanding, and opens eyes. It imparts faith, leads us to salvation, restores the soul, regenerates, and equips for every good work. It heals us, revives us, sustains us, restrains us, sanctifies us, strengthens us, and establishes us. It makes us wise, keeps us pure, and it sets us free. We are to eagerly receive it, handle it accurately, abide in it, hide it on our hearts, and write it on our hearts. We're to pay close attention to it, examine it, teach it, remember it, praise it, preach it, defend it, and contend for it. We're to long for it, delight in it, love it, treasure it, and rejoice in it. We're to keep it, continue in it, be nourished from it, and be doers of it. We're to fear it, tremble at it, and stand in awe of it. We're to speak it boldly, be good stewards of it, and glorify it. We're to trust it, believe it, implant it, hold it fast, suffer for it, and live by it. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. For man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Amen. I could just uh, pray and go home, and that would be a good sermon all by itself. I love that thing. The, those people do a wonderful job. And I, I can tell you from the depths of my heart that anything I say tonight that is contrary to the Word of God, you ought to ignore. Uh, anything that is even slightly distorted from the Word of God, you ought to ignore. What I'm here tonight to do is to glorify God. And uh, John chapter 1 says this is J Jesus, the Word of God. So it's worth being glorified. It is worthy of our praise and also of our study. So we're going to try to do some of that here this evening. 
Uh, I think we're going to have some verses that we're going to put up on the screen. Uh, we're going to begin talking tonight in the book of Genesis and go through to the book of Revelation. So if you don't have a cup of coffee, you might want to go get one. <laughs> it's going to be a succinct summary of some things and more detailed than others. But the point of the matter in, in the end of it is that there's a story in the Bible. I got saved in 1984, and God gave me a hunger for the Word of God uh, different than anything I've ever had in my life. And uh, it, it's just been a passion for me ever since. As a result, I get concerned sometimes that uh, I don't fully express what the Bible has to say. So I've done a lot of praying and preparing for this evening to try to give you a summary because our pastor has encouraged your heart. He has said several weeks now, please read the Bible this year. Please read the Bible this year. Please read the Bible this year. Now, here's a man who's been a pastor for a long, long time. And he's seen people come and go in the Christian faith. He's seen people who have been born again and then fell by the wayside because, well, have you ever had a pet? Anybody here ever had a dog? Did you ever try going for six months without feeding it? No. But you've seen the pictures on TV, haven't you, of those people who, who quit feeding animals or they had them penned up and moved away and the awful condition? That's what your spirit looks like when you don't feed it. That's what your spirit looks like when you don't feed it. What I'm going to try to do tonight is give you some framework to hang your Bible reading on this year. I'm going to try to give you some things to look for as you're going through the various books of the Bible because there is one story. It starts in Genesis. It goes to Revelation. And, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Let's pray for a moment. Dear Lord, we, we know that you love us. When your word says, if we ask in your will, that you will provide exactly what we ask for. And we know it's your will, dear God, that your word go forth in a mighty way. So we beg you to have that happen tonight. Dear God, if there's anybody here tonight that doesn't know you as Savior, that tonight would be the night that they'd hear the word in such a way that they would see their need to accept you as Savior. And for those of us who are saved, dear God, that we would grow closer to you, that our faith in you would be strengthened by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Genesis 1-3. Hopefully I've got that on the sheet that I gave you. Essentially it says, And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. Um, this is the end of creation. It's the end of chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. When God said it was very good, that means it was flawless. Finished, perfect, flawless. There were no uh-ohs in the process. It was much more beautiful, even though we have beautiful things in what we see in the world today. There are times the sunset tonight was an example of that. It was very beautiful. But it's nothing to compare to what it was before the fall. The next thing that we're going to talk about then is that this changed. And the reason that it changed is because God did not make us to be robots. God could have created human beings that were just absolutely without any choice. We could have been made so that we automatically loved him. Uh, there are times probably in despair where some people look at it and say, gosh, I wish I was there. I wish I could be a robot and just love God. I don't like this. And Paul even said, who will take away this wicked flesh of mine? Who will take away this direction that I have to sin? 
But what God wanted is for us to love him. You can see that in uh, Matthew chapter 22, 37 to 40. It says, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Love, real love, is not something that is an emotional thing. Real love is a decision. When you look at things, you decide you're going to give your love to it. When you're at the point in life, like I have been, where you have children, you understand this a little bit more. Because there are times when your children are not lovely. There are times when they are disobedient in ways that are disturbing. There are times when they are, uh, love becomes a choice. You decide you're going to go ahead and stick with it. You're going to stay with those things because you know it's the right thing to do. Because you have a responsibility. When God did this, what he did is he gave us a choice. It's a commandment. And if it's a commandment, that means we can either do it or what? Or not. We have the not side available to us, don't we? We cannot. Okay, let's go to the next slide. Genesis 2.17, God had one rule for Adam and Eve. The rule was, don't eat of the tree in the center of the garden. Don't eat from that tree of knowledge of good and evil. One commandment. There was one rule. You think you can keep one rule? You could? Well, I think he thought he could too. But let's go to the next slide. Genesis chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. I simplified it. Adam and Eve ate from the tree. Now this sounds funny. And, and sometimes when we look at the presentations we see of it, they're done in kind of a, a comical way almost. The way Adam and Eve are presented. Um, that's not funny. This began something that we are all part of today. Uh, there's a cosmic battle going on, and we're going to talk about it in some detail as we go through the Bible. But because of this situation, because of what happened, we ended up in a situation of what is known as sin. Now, what is the definition of sin? Would somebody like to try out one? Falling short of God's standards. Go ahead and put up the next slide, please. He was quoting my next slide there. Transgression of God's law. Zach's been looking back there. He snuck in before. <laughs> the definition's pretty obvious. If you look at it, if you're trying to be general, God's in charge. He makes the rules. Sin, as he defines it, is going against him. Problem is, if you go back to what Tim said a little while ago, we really only do have one rule, don't we? And you can say, well, the Bible's full of rules. But really, there's only one, isn't there? And that is what? Obey God. We're supposed to obey God. We're supposed to obey God. What was, was that any different for Adam and Eve? No, they were supposed to obey God. That was the rule. That's it. it it's relatively simple. It, it looks more complex when you start going through the Bible. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. I forgot to say one thing. Uh, I really like questions rather than having somebody go along and not understand what I meant. So if you have any question whatsoever, 
I don't care what it is. And Brandon can tell you in the back, or he, he asks them all the time when we get together in the class that we have on Sunday. Please ask the question. Don't wait. Or if, you wait, if you'd rather wait till the end, I'm okay with that. But uh, the nice thing about asking them during the, as we're going is there's probably somebody else who didn't know, didn't understand it too. Okay. What is the consequence then of this sin? What did it mean? So let's go to the next slide there. Uh, James 1.15 says, Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. The next slide then helps us understand what this death means. In Matthew chapter 13, it says, The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all the things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and cast them into a furnace of fire, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What happened here is we, through Adam and Eve, we became inheritors of sin. And this sin puts us in a situation where we're, in, we're at odds with God. And the end result of that situation is eternity spent in punishment. What do we call that place? Most people don't even like to say it. And most people say it just the way you guys did. Hell. You hardly ever hear anybody say, Hell! Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the, the end of it is, though, we ought to shout it, shouldn't we? Because people are going. People are on a clear path. They, they have chosen to disobey God, and they're headed to misery. Forget the misery that they see here and now. But they're headed for an eternity of misery. Now, some people say, well, that's, you know, that was old-timey preaching. You don't want to talk about that nowadays. Well, you know what? God was the same yesterday, today, but now he's changed because it's... No, that's not what it says. God was the same yesterday, today, and he will be the same tomorrow. So the hell part hasn't changed. I, it's important. In fact, it works a whole lot better if you just get it out on the table. Because it is, it is the fact. It's where we are. Next slide, please. The same message is in Revelation 21. The reason, of course, that it's there is this is talking about what happens at the end of time and the judgment occurs, and when the judgment occurs, the, the, the final end of it comes. There's resurrection from the dead. The resurrection of the righteous is to joy with the Lord for the rest of eternity, and the resurrection of the damned. The Bible describes two ways. It's a, a lake that burns with fire and eternal darkness. Now, if you've lived like I've lived in my life, you've had days that were darkness. Spiritually wise. I mean, it got dark on the submarine a couple times too. You don't get much sunshine there. But I'm talking about spiritual darkness. I'm talking about that feeling in your soul where you're not sure that you want to live. And uh, if you haven't had that, I guarantee you, you need to fortify yourself with the Word of God because the day's coming when you're going to see it. When something's going to happen. My daughter died before I did. And... Uh, I don't recommend it. it. It was very hard on me and my wife to have her die. Um, fortunately, I was saved before my daughter died. So I had God to cling to. And, but there is spiritual darkness. But this situation we're talking about is eternity because of disobedience with God. Next slide, please. 
The law was given by God to lead us to realize that we're sinners in need of a Savior. In Romans 3, 19 and 20, it says, Now we know that what the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So God put the law together, never expecting that we were going to comply with it. If you, you look at every scholar who's ever written on the subject, and they'll all say that even a person who's been born again, a person who's saved, that person continues to sin. It doesn't stop. As one pe preacher, I, I, I just love this quote. It's really fun. It's a story uh, from a, a kid's football game. It was a high school football game, and he was the local preacher. He'd been in the town for a long, long time. Everybody knew him. And in those days, they would bring one of the preachers in to go ahead and pray before the game for everybody. So the announcer was kind of a wise guy. He wasn't a Christian, and he was kind of picking on the pastor. And he said, well, here's Pastor so-and-so, and tell us, Pastor, do you still sin? And handed him the microphone. And the whole place got real quiet. And he said, yes, I do. But I don't enjoy it near as much as I used to. And then the place was dead silent. Neat story. But the, the end of it is that's what we are. And the sin that we have is because we know what God had to say about it. Next slide, please. Romans 7, 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin, but by the law. For had I not known lust, except the law said, do not covet. Next slide, please. Galatians 3.24 nails it down now. It says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by keeping the law. Is that what it says? No. We're justified by faith. Something is out there that's going to bail us out. Something is out there that's going to take our wicked soul that's, that's violating the law and is going to make us right with God. And that's what faith is, isn't it? It's believing that something, and we're going to get to that. Most of you know what that is, but we're technically going to go through the scriptures here because it's important to do that now and again. The best summary of the law is in Exodus chapter 20. You probably have all seen all these before. It's important to note that that list right there in the minds of most scholars includes everything that you can do wrong. Remember when we looked at Matthew chapter 22 and it said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself? You can take it right here. First four of them are loving God. The last six are loving your neighbor. The Bible's consistent, beginning to end. The story doesn't change all the way across. But more importantly, more importantly is that the soul of every person in here is guilty of those sins. Some people say, well, I don't know. I've, I've lived a pretty good life. I've never really killed anybody. However, when Jesus was talking in Matthew chapter 5, verse 22, he said, if you get angry with a person, it's the same as though you've committed murder without cause. If you get angry without cause, has anybody here ever been angry with somebody? Yeah, that's pretty much everybody. Yeah. All of us have pretty much done that, except for Brandon back there. He, he didn't raise his hand. He's, 
Never angry. <laughs> Another one that, that, that's kind of interesting is it says don't commit adultery. Okay. Many people can look at that and say, well, you know what? I've never committed adultery. That's, that's not done that. However, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, he said, if you've looked on a person to lust after them, you've already committed adultery in your heart. All right. Anybody brave enough to raise their hand and say they've never done that one? No. Not going to happen. What's God trying to get at? Why was Jesus taking these things and cranking them up? Taking them and cranking them up. Because in the end of it, remember what it said in Galatians? It said it's drawing us all to him. What he wants is for us to find the fix. He wants us to come to him. This is all designed to draw us to the everlasting love of Christ. It's, what it, it, it's the picture of it. it. And it will work if you let it. Next slide, please. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus died on the cross voluntarily. If you read the Gospels, you'll find that when the guards came to get Jesus, they walked up to him and said, we're looking for Jesus. He said, I am he. Three words. And all of them fell on the ground, the Bible says. You say, I don't believe that. I've seen the movies. It's not that way. Well, it's that way in the Bible. <laughs> it may not be that way in the movies. Now, where did this name I am come from? Does anybody remember? And who was he talking to? Talking to Moses. That's right. Moses walked up to this burning bush, right? And God said, hey, Moses, I want you to go on back down where you came from, and I want you to bring my people out. It's time for them to get away. It's not going to be easy, but you got to go do it. And he says, okay, I'll go do it, after a little discussion. Who should I tell them sent me? And he said, I am that I am. Now, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? I am. That's not that I was, not that I will be, not that... But I am. That's his name. And when Jesus said that there in the garden, it must have had some impact. I mean, it, when I speak loudly in this thing, I know it hurts your ears, so I won't do it. But it was kind of like screaming into the microphone in their spirit. Can you imagine that they still arrested him? I mean, think about the whole thing. First, Peter takes out the sword and goes, whack, takes the guy's ear off. And Jesus says, hold it, and puts the ear back on. Now, I don't know about you, but I, when I read that, I get kind of silly. I mean, here's these tough old Roman soldiers, you know, and they've seen a lot of things, but they never seen somebody put the ear back on the side of somebody's head. I mean, it just, you just don't get that. And then he says, I am he, and boom, they all fall down. Or maybe it was the other way around. 
the struggle in the end of it is we take, even those of us who are Christians, we take this whole wonderful, miraculous God that we have and we shrink him down into something that sits in kind of the corner of our life. You know, we, we come to church. And you can, yeah, don't we? We, we? Because it's what we do. I mean, we have this church thing we do. And maybe some of you go to church and come to 724 and you do some other ministry. But you can think of times of your life, lots of parts, where God is kind of over here. But this is God. This is not, I mean, that audio thing and the video thing the guy did is cool about the word of God, but it's nothing compared to the real deal. And that sunset tonight kind of is, is a little piece of it. But understand, we're one of billions of galaxies that God created by the word of his mouth. This is the great I am. That's what we're talking about. In the end of it, he took the sin on himself. Now this is the way to, to see that. Pretend this hand is, is me. And God looks down at me and he says, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So how does he feel about me? Does he love me? He loves me. All right. Pretend this is a CD with a list of all my sins. Probably would take a whole lot more CDs for that, but let's assume that we could stink them on here with some kind of shrinking technology. Dan could help us out with it. Yeah. So we get them in there. Now, this is my sin. This is me. God looks at my sin. How does he feel about my sin? He hates my sin. How does he feel about me still? Isn't that amazing? I've been disobedient enough times that you couldn't put them on this disc. And yet, he still loves me. He still loves me. That last song. That's why I love him. He loves me. Pretend this is Jesus now. The Bible says he took the iniquity of us all and laid it on him. He got a crown of thorns pressed into his head. He was beaten to the place where people say they couldn't recognize him. In fact, on the road to Emmaus, after he rose from the dead, people couldn't recognize him. Some people think he still has the scars today. book of Revelation says, in heaven, there's a lamb as though it had been slain. A lamb as though it had been slain. Maybe he still has the scars. Now, where's my sin? A little louder, Brandon. It's over on Jesus. It's over on Jesus. But this is the cool part. I got his righteousness. The perfect righteousness of a sinless God. What a deal! What a deal! I mean, this is better than the Walmart special. This is better than the Kmart blue light special they used to have. This is it. God has made it so I can be righteous. He fixed it. He fixed it. Next slide, please. 
how do we get there? The Bible says in John 3, 3, except a person be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Next slide, please. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Next slide, please. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart you believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This process is very simple. Why did God say that sin, the law was put in place, was for what? Say again. To show us our sin. The law is there, not because we thought we could keep it, but so that we could see we're sinners. The second part of the puzzle then is, we have to confess the fact that Jesus Christ paid the debt for our sins. That's essentially what it says there. He paid that price. He did the job. He got it finished. He did it. He accomplished the cosmic puzzle. And finally, you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross and that God raised him from the dead. Now, of all the things, of all the things that go on in the process of this, this perhaps is the most difficult one to really believe. I mean, we, we say it. We, we see it in the movies where they go to the grave and there's nobody in it. And then later on, they, they meet him because he's still walking around. What has to happen for somebody to rise from the dead? I'm going to tell you how serious this is. Scientists for the last 120 years have been trying to create life. Has anybody here ever read the story or seen the movie Frankenstein? Yeah. How about Frankenstein? Have you seen that one too? That's a funnier one. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a funny one. I like that one. But, but the whole, uh, as silly as the funny one is, and as seriously gory as the real one is, it, it was kind of what was going on in the science world uh, for the last 120 years. They've done all kinds of things to try to create life. I mean, they, they, I can remember when I was in high school, they took some uh, uh, sheep and they, they took their reproductive parts and, and they created a sheep outside of, of the mother sheep. And they were all excited about the fact that this sheep had been born this way, even though the sheep didn't last long. But that was starting with life already. I mean, the, the, the cells that they took from the male and female sheep to do it were already alive. What they've tried to do since then is they've tried to take living cells and they have tried to put them in a perfect environment where they'd be very healthy and then kill them and then try to bring them back to life. Because everything, I mean, the argument you can make with it, and I, I think it was logical. If it could be done... That would work, wouldn't it? Because you have everything right there that was just alive a moment ago. And it's just a cell. So it's not complicated like a human being or a, a dog or a cat. It's just a little thing. So you could maybe get it to come back. But every time they've tried it, the same thing happens. Once it's dead, it's dead. Except for this God, the I Am. When he says... To Lazarus, when he walked up to the door of the grave and Lazarus had been dead for three days, 
And, and remember, the friend said, come on, come on, come over, because we want you to, to help our friend. He's sick, and we know you can make him well. And he said, nah, I'm going to wait, because he knew it was needed for their faith. He knew it had to be done. So Lazarus was dead. In fact, the, he had been dead so long. What did the people say about him? Ew, he stinks. And yet, when he said, Lazarus, come forth, what happened? Out of the grave he came. And when God said to Jesus, raised from the dead, he rose. It, it is a miracle beyond imagination. But what happened there is the key to this all. Remember what the results of sin were? Death. And he overcame death. He, he took the very thing. In fact, if you're a Christian, the very thing that most people in the world are scared of, for you, is the end of the benefit program. You get to go to heaven. You get to be with Jesus. Now, I'm not trying to say I want to take the elevator tonight. And I'm not recommending you do either. But, but the end of it is, it takes away some fear, doesn't it? Because I used to fear that I was going to die. I, before I got saved, I was on a submarine and we went underwater for 90 days at a time. And if it started to leak when you were down low and it leaked badly, you weren't coming up. We all knew that. We were very careful about how we took care of the submarine because we knew it kept us alive. There were times where some of our, I will call them for lack of another word, maybe competitors out in the ocean would throw death charges at our submarine. And it was a frightening thing to feel that whole submarine, as big as it was, just jump in the water. But I didn't know Jesus as my Savior. For me, it was either life or nothing. Now, I have a little better perspective. The end of it is, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you need to do that. You need to think about this. The, the end of the process is this. We have, I think we have Joshua 24 up next. Next slide, please. In, in Joshua, it says, choose this day whom you will serve. It gives you the idea that there's two sides to this coin. You can either serve God or something else. Matthew 6.24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. In my Bible, that word is mammon, but I put this world in there to make it a little easier to understand. It doesn't mean that you don't do things in this world. It doesn't mean that you buy, don't buy a house or have a car. It doesn't mean that you don't marry and have children. It doesn't mean that you don't enjoy the things of life. It just means that your first loyalty, your first person on a list of one, is God. He doesn't want to be on a list down so that He's off in the corner while you're off doing what you want to do. He wants to be your constant companion. He wants to be your constant love. He wants to be the source of everything. And 
somebody says, does that mean I can ask God for anything and he'll give it to me? It's better than that. God won't give you what's not good for you, and he will give you everything that is good for you. And you're better off with his list than you are with your list. And I can prove that to you. Has anybody here either had a small child or had responsibility to care for a small child? I'm guessing that's probably just about everybody here. Uh, yeah, just about everybody's. If you haven't had one of your own, you've had the responsibility to care for one. Have you ever had a time where they wanted something so badly that they were screaming for it, and yet you knew that if they got their hands on it, it was going to hurt them? I can remember my granddaughter wanting to go out in the street to do something. And she had this little toy of some kind. And the, the driveway we have is kind of stone. And the sidewalk wasn't just right. And, but the street would have been perfect for it. She could run it up and down on the street. So I went out in the street with her for a little bit, let her have it. I had to go back inside. I said, we're going to go in now. She said, oh, I'm going to stay out here and play. I said, no, you can't stay in the street. Oh, my gosh. You'd have thought I had terminated the entire existence of her life. She screamed and hollered and laid down on the street. Fortunately, at the time, she didn't weigh much, so I just reached over by her ankle and picked her upside down, walked into the house and set her down. And why did I do that? Was I right? Does it look cruel? I mean, if you didn't have the circumstances, it might not look right. But was I doing the right thing? And you know what? God does the same thing for you, only... Only the difference is the list of things is so much more complicated. And what might be right for you today might be wrong for you today. And, and so this whole thing comes down to wanting to put your hand in the hand of the guy who made you. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer you a couple things here that are kind of interesting. This spiritual battle that we're talking about started back in Genesis, and it's going to end in the book of Revelation. And, and the battle is between Satan and God. Satan decided to rebel against God before Adam and Eve did. He's the one who tempted Eve and, and eventually got them to sin. But since that time, there has been a steady and consistent battle going on a steady and consistent destruction. The battle has been initially to get rid of the Savior. Remember what God said to Eve and to Satan in Genesis 3.15? He said he was going to bruise the heel of her seed and her seed was going to do what? Crush his head. Crush his head. I like that. There's a Mel Gibson movie that he did called The Passion, and in it he has Jesus go and actually crush the head. That was quite a cool. I like that. The end of it is, though, where did the head crushing happen? Say again? Yeah, you could say that. It, Jesus' version of it is it, it ended when he died on the cross. I mean, he knew he was going to rise from the dead, and you're, you're right, it had to be finished. But what did he say, the last thing on the cross? Yeah, and the question is, what is it? It, what is it? It is this battle that started back in Genesis 
Now, since then, we're playing out some of the time-lapsed photography part of this because each of us is in the battle still. But if you're in the battle without Jesus, you've lost. Because the Bible says you're either on Jesus' side or you're on Satan's side. Now, here's the deal. And I told you about that good deal before, about Jesus taking your sin and you get his righteousness. Well, this is the second part of that deal. And that is Jesus already won the fight. Jesus already won the fight. Did I say that Jesus already won the fight? Huh? Let's have a hallelujah. Hallelujah! Jesus already won the fight. All you have to do is be on the right team. That's it. It's that simple. The problem with it is, and here, here's the stinky part of it, you got to decide minute by minute. Now, your salvation isn't that way. Your salvation, once you've chosen Christ and trusted Him as your Savior, it's done. But in a day-to-day consequence, life activity thing, you have problems because you're kind of drawn away sometimes, away from the Lord. Has anybody here ever driven a car? Probably most of you. Have you ever noticed that the highway people on the center line and on the side of the road, on a lot of the roads, they put those little speed bump things? So if you're, you're driving along normally, if you keep your eye on the center of the road, what happens? You just stay right on the road, don't you? You just go around, you don't have any problems. But if you let your eyes wander off, let's say you're driving along and there's a sign up there, there's a sale on something you want to buy. So you're trying to catch the details. What happens to the car? And what does that tell you? Doesn't mean your car's broken. You just mean you have to get back on the road, right? You, now, that means you take your eyes off the road, take them back on the road. It's the same thing with Jesus. You take your eyes off of Jesus and you start to feel the speed bumps. That's the sin that God lets be in there in your life to show you. It's not the sin that's the issue, is it? It's that you don't have your eyes on the Savior. In fact, there's a song about that. Let's see if we can find that song here. I'll sing it through once, and if you know it, sing it with me. If you don't, we'll sing it through a second time, and you can sing it then. This one's cool. It says, O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Let's try it again. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. And life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The key there is the things of earth growing dim. It doesn't mean that we're not in this world. It means that we're not of this world. 
It doesn't mean that we don't live our life and go from place to place and get involved with things. It means that that involvement doesn't take our eyes off of our Savior. We recognize that our strength comes from Him. We recognize that our wisdom comes from Him. And that, as we go, is what growth as a Christian is. You're going from a person who was at odds with God. You got saved. And now, the process of growing, as you grow and grow, is the business of more consistently keeping your eyes on Him. You don't want to put your eyes on me. You don't want to put your eyes on Pastor Arnold. And I'm not picking on him. You ask him. He'll tell you. You want to put your eyes on Jesus and, and stay there as much as you can. The sin of life, those are the speed bumps to, get, to let you know that you took your eyes off the road. Just get your eye. Don't pay attention to the sin. You say, well, I'm supposed to confess my sin. Yep, get it over with, but then don't go back to it. Some people you'll run into are Christians, and all they do is talk, oh, this terrible sin bird. Oh, I've done that. Oh, I've baloney. That's not God. God doesn't want you doing that. Over and done. He says it's over. When it's done, forget it. Get your eyes back on Jesus and go on do what you're supposed to do. That's what it's about. You say, well, I've done some terrible things. Well, so have I. And there's this guy named David in the Bible. God said he's a man after his own heart. Committed adultery. Killed the man's wife. Husband. Killed the wife's husband. I can't get it right. Anyway, Bathsheba's hubby. Killed him. Did all those things. And yet God said he's a man after his own heart. Now, does that mean he didn't sin? Obviously not. What it did mean is that he had a heart to get back to God. And that's what God's concerned about. It's not that you've done terrible things. It's that you recognize what the solution for that is, and you're willing to put your eyes on the Savior. Now, here's the spiritual battle part. In Ephesians, it talks about us putting on armor. There are daily things that you need to do to strengthen yourself. And how are you going to do those things? What is the tool that's going to help you do that? You're going to read your Bible. What's the next tool that you need to put in place? You need to pray. You say, well, I don't really have anything to pray about. Well, get started. Give yourself five minutes a day, and pretty soon it'll turn into 50. I mean, it just grows. It just, but you got to, I will tell you this, it's like any discipline that you do. Does anybody here have trouble exercising? Am I the only one that has difficulty? Okay, there's several people who have trouble exercising. Okay, I, I struggle with it. But you know what? When I do it every day, it's easier to do it the next day. When I quit doing it for about two weeks, oh, man, uh, uh, I hate it. But, but then once I get back in it again, it's, it, and the same thing's true with praying. The final piece of this is probably the most difficult thing in the United States today. Most Christians do not witness to the people around them. They go to places. God gives them opportunities to see people, and they don't do it. I can, I'm telling you, you some, and everybody's got some excuse. Well, I don't know enough about the Bible. Get a good gospel track and give it to them. Tell them they need Jesus. Whatever you can get out, tell them your testimony about how you got saved. I thank you all for your time tonight. I, I really probably went longer than I should have, but... I really had a blast. You're a great group of people, and I'll be praying for all of you. Uh, we're in a struggle. Uh, our nation uh, is 
there's wickedness beyond anything that I can imagine. But there are people who are trying to do something about it. And I just ask you to join the battle. Pray and do what you can to encourage the folks around you to love the Lord and to do what he wants done. Thank you.
Such a time.